Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates, ready to go. Outkick 360 is back. Thursday edition. Armando Salguero will join us. Trey Wallace from Outkick hits the college headlines after we talk NFL with Armando. And later in the show, Tony Baselli, Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist. He is on the call with Westwood One for this weekend's matchup between the Chiefs and Bengals. Looking forward to that chat and much more as we broadcast live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine with Chad Withrow, Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Ready for a big show? Ready for a big championship weekend? We've got uh, coaching hires galore that we'll get to. This, uh, this opening story about Jacksonville, uh, I think we all love how, how it went down. And uh, what Byron Leftwich made happen in order to pave pave a better way for himself. Sounds like Byron Leftwich is the the next hire for Jacksonville, and he's bringing Adrian Wilson with him, and Trent Balky will be out. Details on that uh, a little bit later. But uh, guys, let's start with just some big questions around the championship weekend, and, and let's start by asking this question: Does the NFC Championship or does the weekend have less of a a hype or feel to it because we're not getting Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers part two. A million percent, yes. It has less of a buzz. When you take two of the dominant names, not just in the NFL, but in sports, over the last two decades, uh, when you combine their careers, yeah, it's going to lose some of the appeal. That, that That's what, if, if you're not a Rams or 49ers fan, you're rooting for the biggest storyline. And the biggest storyline is Brady versus Rodgers in Rodgers' possible last year in Green Bay. Rodgers trying to avenge just a heartbreaking loss a year ago at Lambeau Field. Going back to Lambeau in that game. Yeah, I mean, all due respect to 49ers and Rams, we're all going to watch it regardless. It, it pales in comparison to Packers, Bucks, Rodgers, Brady. To be honest, I hadn't thought of it this way until we put this together and posed the question. I think America, I don't know that leading up to it is thinking that way. I think maybe when you sit down and turn on the television and it, it's not that, or as you're reading the hype for it and it's not that, maybe think about it a little bit. But listen, if you want last weekend and those four finishes, you can't pre-prescribe that Brady and Rodgers win them. And so if Brady and Rodgers don't win them and you get those great games, then the payoff is you get whoever you get this weekend. And so I'd say to anybody that's bemoaning, oh, Brady and Rodgers aren't here, screw it. That, this is the, what you get in return for getting the four greatest divisional games packaged together. It's not like, to me, um, 
March Madness where you love the Cinderella win, but then the next weekend when Cinderella probably loses big, it's, it's a downgrade. This is still high-quality football, and these teams have proven they're better than Brady's team and Rodgers' team by beating those teams. But the best scenario would have been the games that just happened over the weekend and the Packers kicking the last-second field goal and Brady finishing off the comeback and winning. You still could have had those great games. I'm just saying from a national interest standpoint and a talk standpoint, it would have been far better if it would have been Rodgers-Brady winning those games. I said get smarter. Cooper, uh, Brady Rogers, set Brady Rogers aside for a second. Appreciate Cooper Cup getting open on, on that play. Appreciate uh, San Francisco finding a way to win without an offensive touchdown. I, I've always been a proponent of this. I want the best football, not necessarily the best guy. And we've had plenty of Rodgers losing in the NFC Championship. So let him lose a round earlier and let's see somebody else. Well, the difference is it's the anticipation. That's the question. It's not the best game. The anticipation for this game is certainly less because those two quarterbacks aren't in it. No one's discussing Cooper Cup and his play. We would be, we're not previewing that matchup as much as what we would be if it's Brady and Rodgers part two, but for the, for the first time all season. We're getting Rams 49ers for the third time. Yeah. Well, there's not that breathlessness, but we do know that divisional rematches tend to like a third time game isn't necessarily a bad thing because it gets more heated and there's more uh, likelihood of stuff after the whistle and that kind of things that fans, I think generally tend to like, because there's more, we think there's not enough hate. I think the three of us agree. There's not enough hate in sports between rivals anymore. Well, you've got optimum chance of hate if you're playing for a third time and you're super familiar with each other. I think we've got a good chance of seeing hate in Rams 49ers, a better chance that you have of seeing hate in, in Brady Rogers. I'd rather see Brady Rogers than Jimmy Garoppolo versus anyone. I'd like <laughs> I mean, to see it too, but I'm, I've, I'm no, with all due respect to a guy that's got two touchdowns and five interceptions over the course of his playoff career. And that just came off, not scoring an offensive touchdown the entire game. Uh, I'm, I'm going to watch the game and Paul, you may be right. This game could be great. And it's also the 49ers going for seven straight wins over the Rams. Um, I, I, I don't have as much interest in these two quarterbacks going head-to-head as I would the, the other alternative. Who stands the most to gain this weekend, player or coach? And if I, I'm curious, the first name that comes to mind, because there's one for me I think that's being overlooked. Matthew Stafford has the most to gain. Uh, Matthew Stafford was the pivotal puzzle piece to possibly complete the puzzle that the Rams are trying to put together quickly after building with other players this offseason to win a Super Bowl. He's the most important part of that. He doesn't have the greatest reputation for clutch play. Didn't have a lot of opportunities in the playoffs in Detroit. So to me, I, looking at everyone that's involved, every player, every coach, I think Matthew Stafford has the most to gain by winning this NFC Championship, getting the Rams to the Super Bowl, and... It's not even about legacy as much as completing what the Rams attempted to do when they traded Jared Goff for Matthew Stafford and proving to everyone that, hey, I'm an elite quarterback as well, just like these other guys. I just haven't had the opportunity with a great team. Now I have a great team, and guess what? Year one, I'm in the Super Bowl. This is a big moment for Stafford. What do you think, Paul? I'm tempted to say Odell Beckham Jr. because it's a real resurrection if he is. is a big contributor this weekend. But I'm going to say Joe Burrow. If Joe Burrow gets Cincinnati into the Super Bowl after the big Mahomes-Allen game, 
all of a sudden he's saying, hey, everybody's talking about those two guys, and here I am. Here I am. I, I Here's the outside-the-box answer for me that no one would, I don't think, would say, and I don't disagree with either answer there. Andy Reid. Andy Reid is not mentioned in the same breath as the greatest coaches of all time. He's not in the same breath as Bill Belichick. He will become the, uh, if he gets a win over Cincinnati, he will tie Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, Tom Landry with 20 postseason wins for the second most postseason wins all time in the history of the game. Belichick's number one with a win. Andy Reid becomes number two. And on, on his way, he's about to go to his third straight Super Bowl with Kansas City with a victory. Has a chance to go for Super Bowl win number two with Kansas City. And you remember what he did in Philadelphia. I mean, the guy could easily leave a legacy that's up there with the greatest coaches of all time by the time this is all said and done because of the team he's coaching and the run that they're on. Give him two wins, and I'm totally there with you. He wins a Super Bowl here, and he moves up into a special pantheon. Now, the other one is Kyle Shanahan, the other coach, because... With a win, he goes to his second Super Bowl in three years with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. You can argue he's doing more with less than anybody across the league given what's going on at quarterback in the quarterback play. That's just the truth of Jimmy G when it comes to the turnovers and and how their offense is constructed versus the way the other teams are constructed. Let me give you my sleeper pick for this one. The player that's got the most to gain from this weekend is Trey Lance. If Jimmy Garoppolo's terrible and the Rams blow out the 49ers, it's going to be a lot easier to not second-guess Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and the 49ers trading up to get Trey Lance because they can easily point to it and say, this is why. You need someone who can do something in the biggest moments. You need a quarterback who can elevate. The roster that is there. It's set for championships. This is why we traded up to get Trey Lance. And it helps him going into what we presume will be him as the starting quarterback week one of next season. We don't know that, but a guy who may not even play in this game stands to gain a lot. If and I'm not saying he's rooting against him, but if Jimmy Garoppolo falls on his face and the 49ers get beat bad, Trey Lance wins. It's funny, Chad, though, because you want him, if it is a losing scenario for San Francisco, you want it to be just the right way to make yourselves able to go ahead and move to Lance, but to preserve trade value for Garoppolo. Well, to me, the worst scenario for the 49ers with everything would be losing a shootout where Jimmy G is great. Yeah. (laughs) And then you go into the offseason with all these questions about, well, Trey Lance wasn't that good when he played. I mean, a couple flashes, didn't play a lot. I got a guy over here who has been to three NFC uh, championship games or two, almost went to a, a second Super Bowl and lost in a shootout in the NFC Championship game, and you're going to say goodbye to him and bring in this unknown? To me, that's the worst. You miss out on the Super Bowl, barely, and you, you lose in shootout fashion where there's all these questions around Garoppolo and Lance going into the offseason. And then if Jimmy G plays well and they win, I mean, he, he's, he's up there with the playoff performers that are headed or in the Hall of Fame. Terrell Davis is in the Hall of Fame for what he did in the postseason. Um, over the seven-year run that he was in the league. He's remembered for what he did in the postseason. Garoppolo wins in the postseason. Eli Manning, a quarterback that, you know, in the regular season is okay. In the postseason, he has two Super Bowls. He's 8-4 and all-time in the playoffs as the starting quarterback. Garoppolo's got the same type of win percentage in the postseason as Eli Manning. So, I mean, it's, it's really hard to go against the results 
despite what we're seeing San Francisco do in the draft with Trey Lance if they win and advance to their second Super Bowl in three years. Um, let's say the, the 49ers win. There's no way the Rams can consider this a successful season, right? There's no spin on this based on how they've set up this year, and they're all in. And th- there have been all-in moves, and then there are the Rams at the trade deadline and through free agency. I, I don't think so. Uh, maybe it would have been different if you know they were losing to Green Bay at Lambeau Field to Aaron Rodgers, who had some monster game when the Packers are going for their you know final say or something like that. But um, to lose a seventh time in a row to San Francisco third in a year who's got the the quarterback that we're talking about, who's got some clear deficiencies. Um, You know, I think the Rams have have settled themselves, uh, you know, recovered, did a hell of a job at at, uh, in the first two playoff games. Um, If if they lose this game, uh, they will have come up short in their go for it. Um, And they're they're 60 minutes away from playing a home Super Bowl. It, it will be a big failure, I think. It's big for McVeigh, Chad. Big for McVeigh, big for Matthew Stafford, as I said earlier. Uh, huge disappointment. I mean, there's no other way to view it. And also because the way this thing is set up, you know, with some upsets around you. You're hosting. You're hosting an <laughs> NFC Championship with a chance to go host a Super Bowl. And to lose, to lose to a division rival seventh straight time and to not host a Super Bowl is very, very disappointing. We talked about this with the Titans the chance to host an AFC championship game for the first time ever, a big part of the disappointment of losing to Cincinnati was not capitalizing on that chance to go and host the AFC championship. The Rams could play the Super Bowl in their home stadium. That's what's on the line. And they're hosting the NFC championship. And, oh, yes, they did all of this this offseason for one thing in mind, to win a Super Bowl. A huge failure if, if it doesn't happen because everything has worked out so well where it's even this is the best possible if you told the Rams going into the season this is going to be the case you're going to host San Francisco to go host the Super Bowl in your home stadium you would have signed up for that in a heartbeat so yeah it's a, it's a big letdown if they lose they'll feel like the Chargers though in that stadium this week San Francisco will be packing that stadium with their fans well there's no way to view the season as a success and I don't think anyone in that Rams organization and, and hearing from Sean McVay that would try to spin this as some success. No. They, no. they know what's on the line. They know what they signed up for this year. They know what all those moves were for. It's to win the Super Bowl this year in your home stadium. And that's what's on the line Sunday. And McVay, I mean, for McVay, going back to our previous question, big for his legacy as well. Because he'll be, if with a win, he'll be advancing to his second Super Bowl in four years. You know, and he is the... He's the coaching prodigy five years ago. Everybody wanted a coach Started that had the touched youth movement. him, right? Like that, that had been with him and touched the cloth. And this is the next opportunity because it was he's the guy who pulled the trigger on the quarterback that got them there three years ago to trade him away for Stafford. They, that was the missing link to go on a run like this. I think they're the team with the most pressure going into the week with expectations of success. Um, the Chiefs have been there, done that. They've been on this run. They know they're going. I mean, that's their mindset. Cincinnati is riding this wave of opportunity. They believe they're going on the road to win because of their youth, because of their quarterback that's got the moxie. And then you've got the 49ers who have been in playoff mode for the last two months. And then the Rams are expected to be there based on the moves they've made. 
and the Pro Bowl roster type feel they have to it. I'm intrigued by how they come out and play. Um, and, and finally, speaking of the Pro Bowl roster, when, when we start looking at the, the wide receivers that remain with Cup and Chase and Tyreek Hill and Debo Samuel, Trey Higgins uh, and how he stepped up. You've got uh, T. Tra- Higgins. Uh, T. Higgins, yeah. Uh, uh, Travis Kelsey. And, and I could go on and on with some of the options here. Are we? It's already a position that is extremely valued. Is it still undervalued across the league? I I would combine wide receiver and pass catching tight end into one. When you look at Kelsey and Kittle and some of the stars that are playing in, in this Final Four in Championship Weekend, yeah, I, I think it's still probably undervalued. Some, I think Tom Brady for years uh, with what he was doing in New England with a bunch of guys who really didn't have great careers until they got with Tom Brady, probably masked some of this to where you start to fool yourself into believing. You get a great quarterback, doesn't matter who they're throwing to. You can put up big numbers and have a, a, you know big seasons. Well, the biggest season, the best season that the Patriots had was when Randy Moss was catching passes for Tom Brady. So even from a historical sense, you still need that star number one receiver. And that could also be a tight end, a Travis Kelsey, for example. So... It's very important, and that's highlighted by these four teams, but it's also something you could argue is a little bit undervalued. I think it's a passing league. I think everybody's coming to know it. You have to have playmakers to keep up, um, and it's not just the guys you're listing, Hutton. It's the secondary guys. Yeah. Pringle scored a crucial touchdown. Gabriel Davis just scored four touchdowns. You've got to stack them up, and you can't have enough and we've always said you can't have enough pass rushers. You can't have enough corners. I think we're getting to a point where you're going to say you can't have enough playmakers. And those playmakers need to be, first and foremost, wide receivers. Wide receivers who put fear into secondaries, put fear into pass rushes who know if I don't get there, if we don't get there quickly, big plays are getting made over our heads behind us. And if they're in one-on-one, they're winning. Like all the time. All the time. There's a bunch of them that you would put in that category that are still playing in these four games. And you can take out two on every team. Right. So if you're doubling my main guy and I'm a Gabriel Davis, I, you, I'm going to burn you Well, not too. even the Bills. Think about just from the – think about the 49ers. We, we, we talk about the Jimmy G being the weak link. They've got Debo Samuel or Kittle. You've got to pick your poison there. Uh, or Ayuk, who's a, a what a first-round pick, late first-round pick. Yep. So they've, they've got weapons, and then the same thing with the Rams. The rapport with the quarterbacks to their top guy stands out to me. I don't think it's most. undervalued. I, 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 think it, I think it's increasingly valued. And I think they're coming in the draft in waves. You can get them every, yeah. every year. They're there, first, second, third round, loaded with wide receivers consistently. The, the different options, too. Right, the different styles, slot small, guy. medium, large, yeah, but it, 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 big, fast. But we're more towards the Chad. Chad brought up earlier in the week the the discussion of the wide receivers that are built in this running back type mold. You can name one of those guys the shifty, you know, Tyreek Hill, yeah. Jamar Chase, Debo Samuel to start. It's a lot like you know, um, there's there's Christian McCaffrey who's running back first. Yeah. These guys are wide receiver first that can be used in multiple ways. Cooper Cup. Kind of falls into that category. Sure. Uh, Robert Woods, when healthy, was. was certainly that. They would run the ball with him. Odell Beckham's throwing touchdowns. And guess what they're doing now? Cam Akers is splitting out and catching passes. 
and, and running deep down the field in kind of a, a hybrid Robert Woods role. So that's probably the next evolution is finding your Debo Samuel, Tyreek Hill, Mecole Hardman fits that as well for Kansas City. There's a lot of guys like that that's still playing football. Yeah, call them playmakers. You yeah. don't have to be strictly one position. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. Coming up, Trey Wallace about to join us. SEC headlines, there are plenty of them, both uh, both in, in football and on the hardwood. We'll get that. Plus, Armando Salguero a bit later in the show from Outkick.com. He joins us to preview the NFL matchups this weekend. Later, Tony Baselli and all of the head coaching news across the league coming up in 30 minutes on Outkick 360. First, though, Excited to partner with Aurora NutriScience and VidaLifeScience.com. V-I-D-A-LifeScience.com is the website. Aurora delivers supplements where you need them the most, your body. VidaLifeScience.com is where you can see more information. Our OutKick 360 season ticket holders, you receive a 15% discount by using the code OutKick360 at checkout. Typical pills and capsules are not well absorbed. You're wasting them for the most part. But here's Aurora. Unique, cutting-edge, nutritional, and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes, and that ensures greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. I personally use the vitamin C, the vitamin D3, the glutathione. Simple single-use package you can grab and go in the mornings. Uh, Aurora supplements also help you if you're a weekend warrior. If you take medication for high cholesterol, there are supplements there for you. If you want the endless benefits from curcumin, Aurora supplements help you there as well. VitaLifeScience.com, V-I-D-A, LifeScience.com. 15% 15% off with the code OUTKICK360 at VitaLifeScience.com. Armando Salguero and Tony Baselli join us a bit later in today's program. Glad you're with us across the OutKick network for OutKick360 at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine live in Nashville, Tennessee. The entire crew and Trey Wallace, who recently uh, wrote at OutKick about the Best non-conference matchups, looking ahead a bit for the SEC football season. We'll get into that in just a moment. But first, Trey, hope you're doing well. Guys, good afternoon. I uh, hope everybody in Nashville is uh, doing good. Thanks for having me on on this Thursday again. Uh, uh, absolutely. A, a bit of a long-term plan question here as as we look ahead. Maybe it's not so long-term, but Lane Kiffin uh, at the – He's out there on Twitter. It's not hard to find. You know, he's posting things for the Philadelphia Eagles plane. He's he's at BNA with uh, the, the airport here in Nashville. What do you? What is Kiffin's plan now at Ole Miss? Replacing both coordinators, replacing his quarterback. What are you hearing on the football front for Kiffin, who wasn't hesitant to allow his name to be out there for other jobs this offseason? Yeah, I mean they they made a run to the, the getting Sam Carter, the cornerbacks coach from from Arkansas. I mean they they're putting trying to put pieces together. They brought in Charlie Weiss Jr. uh to kind of help run that offense. Uh I I was interested in that hire, but I was also, you know, in what they did with the defensive coordinator position. Uh Lane bringing in Chris Kiffin back to Ole Miss, uh who will, you know, kind of be the the co-defensive coordinator, I guess you could say, with Chris Partridge. So, I mean, you look at what they're doing right now, and look, Lane Kiffin loves to troll. troll. Like the other day when he posted that screenshot of him in an airplane and New Orleans was the destination, 
He was actually going to visit Arch Manning, uh, but it was perfect timing for him to be able to do something like that with Sean Payton stepping down. Uh, I would imagine the Ole Miss faithful would like for him to stop tweeting that maybe, you know, he's interested in other jobs and keeps putting his name out there. Um, but you look at what they're trying to do with the staff, you know, I, I, he's gone young. And, and I, I say that knowing Lane Kiffin's kind of a young coach in the league, but Bringing in somebody like Charlie Weiss Jr., who's been with him before, uh, who can go back and forth when it comes to this offense, was well, an interesting take when it when it came down to it because he was also looking at other candidates as well. I mean, you know, T. Martin was a name that was that was brought up uh, with that position. So you you look around the conference, you look around at what he's doing to try to compete with the rest of the SEC West, not only Georgia and the SEC East. I think they're doing an okay job when it comes to recruiting. I like the Zach Evans uh, uh, get. I think he'll be able to benefit from what they're trying to do. And you look at it overall right now, Ole Miss, they're gonna have, they're gonna take a step back. I mean, you're you're replacing Matt Corral. I know that they're in on some guys, Jackson Dart, uh, you know, from from USC. I, I get that part of it, but when you look at what they did this season and then try to look ahead the next season, there's no way they get to that spot again. Like It's going to take a minute to rebuild that talent, especially on offense at, at Ole Miss. Defensively, they'll be fine, but you know we'll see what Charlie Weiss Jr. has to work with when it comes to quarterback for next season, and I'm interested in how Lane's going to let him call plays. So, Trey, I'm watching this World War II documentary on Netflix, and there's a line in it about the United States when they enter a war, and it says, when confronted with a problem – the United States just overwhelms it. That's their response to any problem and, and the amount of force they bring with it when they entered World War II. I feel like Billy Napier is also watching this documentary, <laughs> and that's his entire mindset at Florida, that there's a big problem on this roster right now, and what we lack in players, we are going to overwhelm them by possibly having a one-to-one coach-player ratio by the time he's done at Florida with the amount of analysts and support staff um, what do you think about what Billy Napier is implementing in Gainesville and how quickly can Gator fans expect returns? Chad, first of all, that's a perfect segue into this conversation, I might add. You're I welcome. I would, You're welcome, Trey. That, that was beautiful. Always free my A game for you, buddy. <laughs> I know you do. Florida's hired 48 coaches. Yep. I don't know if we can call them coaches, Holy but hell. off the field, uh, quality control, in the recruiting department, the portal department, 48. There's 48 hires since he has been named head coach. Got to have subcommittees on that. <laughs> yeah, which blows my mind, Paul and Chad. I mean, you look, you know, you look around the country and you look at other schools. Nick Saban does this. You know, Nick Saban has. Um, I would imagine Nick Saban has over the 50 mark when it comes to people that work within the university uh, for the football program. Uh, but Billy Napier coming in and just right off the get. I mean, what, we're a month, month and a half into his coaching, you know, him taking over at Florida, and he's already hired that many staff members, and I get it. He's also trying to give them different names. You know, he's also tr- the game changer coordinator. Just call him a special <laughs> team assistant. You know, you, yeah. you have to call somebody the game changer coordinator. Uh, but you also look at what they're doing with recruiting. Um, they're, you know, and I was talking with somebody today associated with Florida, 
And what they're doing is they're, they're splitting it up. You know, they're hiring for that recruiting department and they're hiring for that transfer portal department. And that's what they're really trying to narrow in on right now. And it's going to be over the next year. You know, you're going to see Florida do a lot of things on the recruiting trail. They're going to, they're going to try to. But a lot of that's going to come from the portal itself, too. So them trying to branch off and hire as many people as they're doing, he's doing exactly what Nick was doing and, and is doing in Tuscaloosa. He's just taking his blueprint and trying to make it work at Florida. Now, look, when you have that many cooks in the kitchen, I'm interested to see how that plays out. But when you look at, you know, I've spoken with people when he was at Lafayette, you know, Louisiana, and the staff meetings that he would have where there would be 30 people in the staff meeting. You know, they're all centered around this big table. Some are standing around, and he's going after the game plan, attacking each day, and every person in there has a job that they have to do for the program. I'm interested to see how this works out, Chad. Um, but, look, he's not going to have a shortage of staff members he can either yell at or get help from. Trey, I'm picturing so every the iconic photo of Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Matt LaFleur on Mike Shanahan's staff in Washington. Napier's going to have like 12 deep of that photo eventually. <laughs> like we're going to we're going to be up 12 of 48. I mean, the odds are, you know, you'll have an NFL starting roster of of coaches uh to 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 point to that have eventually get coordinator I, or head coaching jobs. I look forward to that photo in 2040 when yeah, all these yeah. guys are head coaches somewhere yeah. in the NFL or in college football. They'll remember that year in Gainesville. They're going to they're going to have to set up on the indoor practice field for the morning <laughs> meeting. <laughs> it's going to be Hey, hat tip to him, man. If Florida's willing to spend yeah. that kind of money and allowing to spend that kind of money, use it. I mean, it's not going to do anything else if you're just sitting around and not using it, so spend it all. Well, the, what what this will lead to is literally every program who wants to do this will now do it because Florida's doing it. If you're not at that threshold yet, you're about to have, you know, uh, oh, Florida's got 48. We're going to have 50, you know, and they're going to announce it as 50 man staff moving forward. Trey, but that's what they do. Like, that's the big thing too. And I, I mean to cut you off right there, but oh, that's you're, you're also the other selling point because when you can come out and you've got the local media down in Gainesville and I've done it too, when you can come out and say, Hey, this is the 48th staff member we're hired. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is the 50th staff member we have hired. What that does is it's putting it out there to, hey, you know, we're trying to build something very big here and we're taking this thing seriously. And it might sound over the top, but that's what we're doing in Gainesville. So it's smart publicity wise. So, Trey, I don't know. I'm going to make up an adjective here. Uh, I don't know that there's a more transfer portally story out there than the number two receiver at Georgia, Jermaine Burton. <laughs> just up and transferring to Alabama, the team that they just got done beating for a national championship, almost to say, hey, I won one at Georgia. Why not go try to win a national title at the school we just beat for the national championship a year from now? He had no problems at Georgia, no problems with playing time that I'm aware of or any of that. He just decided he wanted to go somewhere else. And it's, it's, it's interesting to me, Trey, because typically if I see someone – that's a number two guy at a big-time program that's winning at the highest level, and they transfer, I'm thinking, they're going to go be the guy for a good team. Not a great team, but you know they're going to go to Tennessee or Arkansas or you know Michigan State and be the guy at one of those schools. But here you have a guy going from the best program right now in college football to the other best program right now in college football. Um, is there anything more transfer portally than that? Here's where I found that one interesting, and, and I'm not speaking for Jermaine Burton at all. 
Does Jermaine Burton want to try to catch passes from Stetson Bennett next year, or does he want to try to catch passes from Bryce Young? That's interesting. And what's he getting paid Where's to do it? it? <laughs> there you go as well. Uh, what kind of apartment you getting? What kind of car are you getting? Uh, which is all legal, whatever. Um, so w- what I'm getting at is, you know, if it if if he came back and thought, okay, I'm not, I'm getting this many catches per game, but then I look over and I see what Jamison Williams and the other receivers at Alabama, I can name them all, uh, were doing with Bryce Young, and how many times Bryce Young's throwing the football compared to what. Georgia was doing, let's be honest, Georgia was averaging about 17 passes per game, and they were running the ball so much you didn't need them in the second half. Well, what's that do? That cuts back on Jermaine Burton and, and what he's able to do on the field when it comes to receptions. And, you know, he's a good wide receiver. So I, I look at it from that standpoint. I just, you know, I, I get the, hey, I won a championship at Georgia. Let me go to Alabama now, the team we just beat. But then I take a step back and look at it, okay, Stetson's coming back. JT's gone. Uh, they have Brock Vandergriff, Gunnar Stockton. Okay, that's fine at Georgia, but let's be honest. It looks like Stetson for next year if we're playing things out. Who do I want to go catch passes from? And, and the first thing I would say is Bryce Young. If I'm able to, let's go do it. So, you know, I, I'm sure the NIL money was nice. Um, and I, I'm sure that looking at it, he had a lot of people in his ear. Hey, you can go do this, this, and this at Alabama compared to maybe getting one or two catches a game at Georgia. So transfer portal is weird, and that is kind of transfer portally, Chad. You wrote about uh, Tennessee Vols men's basketball taking a heel turn, about getting more physical and kind of changing their attitude. Certainly saw some of that last night as they beat Florida. What do you think finally got them uh, to a point where they changed? And, Trey, have you ever heard of a short joke? starting a brawl or a near brawl <laughs> after i mean was this I, 1992 and we're in seventh grade a short joke what we, is what started this? short guys have to on, hear that on Zakai all the time. Ziggler. Uh, it's, it's an incredible right. story i love it it's, it's just it's, it's kind of pointless why are you talking trash to a guy that's five foot nine i mean first off that guy just beat you and he was beating you all around the court and then second of all you look at it okay point guards usually range from about five foot nine to six foot i also, Whatever. for I, half I the game, that 5'9 guy had more rebounds than any player on your team, including your had, leading rebounder in the game at 5'9. He had six rebounds in the first half. Yes. He was the leading rebounder, and he was the point guard for Tennessee. Shows you what's going on with their, their front line. Whatever. That's another story. But it, Tennessee has taken on this mentality, and I wrote about this, and I fully believe they need to. Rick Barnes talked after the game, and he said, look, we're going to be a classy program. We're going to do things in a classy way. We're not going to be that kind of program that goes out there and, you know, and it's hard knocking people and whatnot. Okay, that's fine. He can say that to the press, and that's all good. But the way that we've seen Euros play and Santiago play and Zakai Ziggler play, it feels like this team, if they are going to succeed this year, I, I reference the heel turn. Go full NWO on these teams. <laughs> like you see LSU coming in and they're they're beating teams around and you know, you you look at other schools in the conference. South Carolina kind of plays like that as well. Tennessee needs the bad boy mentality because here's their problem. Right now, they don't really have an offensive identity outside of Santiago Vescovi and Kennedy Chandler every now and then. So what do you do? Turn into the bad boys. Why not? You, you're starting to get that little moniker about you. Uh, you're having to answer questions about it. Uh Last night during the post game, Zakai Ziegler said, you know, Olivier Kamwa says all the time, you know, we're not in it to win the fight. We're in it to win the game. Okay, that's fine. 
But this team right here is different. They have a bunch of scrapplers on this team. And, and I just personally think if Tennessee would embrace that, and I think they already have, because you look at Chad, you saw this last night. Vescovi got up, got a technical foul for literally just staring dude straight in the face. And it was like he wasn't backing down. That's the type of team that you've got right now. You got Euros in there. And, and the craziest thing, Trey, fouls. about that is you mentioned uh, Vescovi yeah. and, and, and Plofsic. You think like, okay, European player, a little bit soft maybe, South American from Uruguay, shooter, maybe a little bit soft. Yeah. These are the two guys that are out there talking trash and get, gaining a rep around the conference where every SEC team that comes and plays Tennessee, they're going after those guys because they might get a technical on them in the game because they're going to try to fight them at some point. No, no one saw that coming from Vescovy and Plopsic coming into this year. No, and Euros got a technical foul last night for just shoving somebody off to the baseline. Which was which was dumb, throw. but yeah, he shoved a guy out of bounds on a free throw. Right, but you see what they're – I see what they're trying to do. Rick Barnes might not say it publicly, but I get it. Tennessee's turning into a physical ball club. If they can't beat you the way that they want to on offense, turn into a physical team and just get you in the post – get other teams pissed off at you and what you're doing, get underneath their skin like Viscovi's been doing, and that's how you attack. So, hey, I give them credit. Turn heel. Go bad guy. Why not? You've got nothing to lose, and Rick Barnes can keep doing his little thing at post-game press conferences to make yourself look good. Trey Wallace of Outkick.com writes and and covers the SEC articles uh, covering football, basketball, and much, much more, uh, including – a look ahead to the most intriguing SEC non-conference matchups, and those matchups include Labor Day weekend kickoffs with Georgia and Oregon. Great uh, ones. Other ones, uh, Florida and Utah, Cincinnati, Arkansas. He takes a deep dive into 10 matchups. LSU, Florida to. State, and New Orleans, the yeah. opening weekend. Outkick.com and on our Twitter account as well. You can follow uh, Trey there, Trey Wallace underscore on Twitter. Trey, thank you as always, man. Enjoy the weekend. Appreciate it. Guys, thanks for having me on, and I uh, hope you all have a fun NFL championship weekend. Not a slight to the Titans. I'm sorry. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Same to you. Thanks, Trey. Trey Wallace has been our guest. Coming up, uh, not a slight to this guy either. The Denver Broncos have hired a hip-hop dance teacher. That's next on Outkick Ooh. 360. couple hires across the NFL, including a former hip-hop dance teacher. True story. Outkick 360 rolls on. The Denver Broncos have hired Nathaniel Hackett, the offensive coordinator for Green Bay, uh, the son of Paul Hackett, longtime offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, the Jets, and at USC. Um, his son, Nathaniel, now the head coach of Denver, was the former ball boy for the Kansas City Chiefs. And then he went to UC Davis. He majored in neurobiology, realized that he wasn't going to be good in the clutch during surgery and decided to follow the path of, of coaching. While he was at UC Davis, he taught hip-hop dance classes as a student there. He's a versatile guy. And uh, he's, he's going to win the press conference. His energy is amazing. I, I said yesterday, he reminds me of what a good college coach would bring to a locker room. Um, Aaron Rodgers raves about him. Did so on uh, McAfee show, Pat McAfee show. It's... It's interesting, though, because sometimes he comes across to me as very gimmicky, but he brings a different approach to it. The question now is, who is he bringing with him? And clearly, Denver's okay with him not bringing Aaron Rodgers or Devontae Adams. 
uh, because he, he won them over in multiple interviews. It was Tuesday night after an eight-hour visit with him in Denver. Uh, they ended the evening before he flew back to Green Bay. George Payton, and there was another front office uh, person from Denver, and Nathaniel Hackett went out to a nice Mexican restaurant, and they you know, shared margaritas before they hopped the, fl- the flight. What expedited all this, Jacksonville wanted to bring him in for a second interview, and the Broncos didn't allow him to do that. There was a Jacksonville plane in Denver at the airport yesterday, and many thought they were there with Nathaniel Hackett. Hackett was already back in Green Bay, and they were there, the Jags were there, to pick up Vic Fangio, who they interviewed. Jacksonville, though, they end up with Byron Lefwich, but it wasn't easy. Byron Lefwich wanted to bring Adrian Wilson with him as his general manager, who's the assistant GM in Arizona. And he did not want to work with Trent Baalke. Uh, speaking Very of Lefwich. Well, today, according to reports, it's Balky out, Adrian Wilson in as the new GM, and that would bring Byron Lefwich as the head coach in Jacksonville. I um, mean, interesting there, too, because Jacksonville made this move after it was reported that Lefwich as of this morning, was going to interview for the New Orleans Saints job. And so Jacksonville wanted Nathaniel Hackett. They would have lost out on their second guy, which is Byron Lefwich. And now they're making the move with Trent Baalke. It's, it's very circular in how everything ties in here. Matt Aberflus is the new head coach for the Chicago Bears. And Dan Quinn this morning told uh, the Dallas Cowboys he's not leaving. He's staying as the defensive coordinator. Reports are from um, from multiple people, but uh, Benjamin Albright is where I saw this, and, and he's very good when it comes to Denver uh, and, and Broncos reporting. Dan Quinn wanted the Denver Broncos job, and while he also interviewed in Chicago yesterday, he really wanted the Denver Broncos job, and I think whenever he found out he wasn't getting it, he told Jerry Jones, who really wanted him to stay, He's not leaving. He's staying on as defensive coordinator. There, re- there's your head coaching news. I really like the Leftwich story. Um, I really like Balky losing out. I, I, all those people in clown suits, there weren't that many, but they, they, there were a lot of people in spirit with that. Um, get their wish. I, I, but while they finally got their wish, in the midst of that, the Jaguars were going to talk to damn Vic Fangio, who was a failure. Uh, that would have, uh, you know, so well, imagine right being, there side by side while you're getting one of your top two guys and he's forcing out bulky. They were going to talk to a guy that just got fired for Denver. Well, and and it, it, the reason I wanted Leftwich in Jacksonville is for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Imagine being Trevor Lawrence hearing that Vic Fangio was interviewing was one of the next and your, your regime was going to start with Trent bulky who never want, no one wants to coach with bulky, by the way, would have known Fangio from San Francisco and Vic Fangio, who couldn't make it work in Denver. Well, and it, just putting the timing of this together, Hackett taking the Broncos' job helped Leftwich with the leverage he needed to get Balky out. Yeah. Yep. So that was a blessing in disguise, even if you know Leftwich or Jacksonville essentially said, "We're not going to lose the two guys we wanted." Right. You know, we just wa- wa- lost one that we were seriously considering, and Leftwich is not. I'm not going to say the fallback plan. He may have been their first option. But it seemed like they'd have been okay with either two of those coaches. And when one of them's gone, all right, we'll meet his demands and get rid of Balky now for that reason. So I think Hackett going to Denver is going to help the Jacksonville organization immensely. Because Balky's gone now. Leftwich was their number one guy. 
the the only thing holding that up was the it, the final thing for Leftwich was he wasn't going to work with Trent Balky. He was going to work with Adrian Wilson. So Jacksonville tried to do a second interview with Nathaniel Hackett. And before they could do that, he was hired by Denver. So then they flipped around and hired Leftwich. And that, that, those reports about Adrian Wilson are coming out of uh, Arizona. So uh, who he's currently with the Cardinals. And so in, in thinking about that, um, it was Mike Jarecki who, who reported this. If he's the new GM in Jacksonville... That means Trent Baalke's not the GM, even though it hasn't been officially announced yet. Good job by Leftwich. I uh, I applaud it. Look forward to hearing more about it. You would think one of the, one of the NFL national bigwigs will have a TikTok on some of that. Nathaniel Hackett, who in his eight years as offensive coordinator has had three top ten offenses, the big success in Jacksonville was with uh, – he's the former coordinator there. He was with Blake Bortles in 2017 where they were a quarter away from the Super Bowl. Interesting pairing there in Denver now for whoever that quarterback's going to be. Big things on the conference championship games next on OutKick 360.